This is Tal, and you're listening to Den Talks, a podcast where you can find inspiration through someone else's journey. Today, we get to chat with Anjali Cabral and absorb some of her magic. You may recognize her from her starring role on CBS's comedy Life in Pieces. What you may not know is she is also a Kundalini Yoga certified teacher. This conversation covers everything from dating a Mormon to her always being in touch with her spirituality from a very young age, being jealous and angry as a struggling actress, to digging deep again and getting back into the center of who she actually is. She gives us so many tips on how to follow instinct, manifest, and make things happen for yourself. She really does live a magical world, and she's going to actually teach us how we can do that too. And also, make sure you stay tuned for Angelique's personal practice at the end of the podcast, because she's going to guide us through an intention-setting kundalini exercise. So we're here with Anjali Cabral. Hi. Hello. So who's on Life in Pieces at CBS. Tune in Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. Season three starts November 2nd. Yes, it does. I can't believe you have season three. I can't believe it either. I pinch myself every day. I mean, that's amazing. It's amazing. In this day and age, especially for like a network show, comedy. Crazy. You should pinch yourself. Yeah. But as we were just saying, you are a magic maker. I feel like it sometimes. (laughs) That's great. How lucky to have that skill, which is actually where I want to start with you. Okay. Because clearly you're an actress. People now know who you are. You're a stunningly beautiful, positive, wonderful woman having a lot of success. But what probably a lot of people don't realize about you is you're Kundalini Kundalini meditation and yoga certified. Right. And you have a huge spiritual side to you. Right. I think it actually informs very much who you are. So people know that personally, it's very clear. But if you don't know that, you just seem like a really happy actress who's having good luck. Right. (laughs) And is talented too, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So I want to talk about that. So when did you get certified? Well, I would say I got certified in 2011. So about six years ago. And um, I think that I'd always been, I grew up spiritual. I've always had like this kind of desire to like go deeper with myself and do like self-help and self-work and self-worth work. So from what age are you talking about? I would say literally from like when I was really little, like two years old, I remember saying to my mom, I, I was up at, I swear to God, I remember this. I was two or three. I was like, I was in the heavens and I picked you. You were sad and you needed me. Like I said that to my mom and I was like two and a half. My mom wrote it down in her journal and she showed it to me years ago. And I started weeping because I like remember, like I've just always kind of been like, do you have other moments like that as a kid? Do you remember? Yeah. And I like remember like always praying very deeply and having like, I don't know if it was angels or what it was, but feeling like my prayers were heard and somehow there was a greater being. There's something bigger than us. I was always very aware of that from a very young age. at that age, what did you believe in? Like, what was it for you? Well, I went to church. We were Christian. I went to an Episcopal um, school and then I went to, pardon my wheezing, you guys, I'm like eight and a half months pregnant. So if I'm like, (laughs) my my baby's kicking. Um, It's very (laughs) sweet. She's just rubbing her belly. She's basically holding her belly up right now. (laughs) So I don't give birth. Um, I went to like Catholic school and Episcopal school. So I was always going to church, but I believed at that point, just in God. Like, I just knew that, like, I was taught about God and the church. And did you then, feel God was magical? Did it? Ha- did God have sex for you? Like, what was God? God? Well, God was, like, picture. my mom had a picture of Jesus in her our living room. And it was this beautiful black and white, very large picture of his, like, 
face with a beard. So I remember praying to Jesus and we were kind my mom was a born again Christian in Hawaii. So that kind of translates <laughs> to me. Such strange, an interesting strange. combination. But my, I think when she got divorced from my dad, she found the church as a single mom in Hawaii. And so she brought me to church as a young girl and we would sing and raise our hands. Like it was like a very, it felt good. It felt good for her. So I think some of that trickled down to me and that was normal. And then, you know, as I got through high school and then into college, I kind of like not pushed away from it, but it wasn't, I didn't go to church anymore. I wasn't like into it. And then I started dating a Mormon guy who like took me to the church and I was like, that's a whole nother red thing. alert. This yeah. is not for me. <laughs> like I, I love the idea of spirituality, but that did not feel right. And so, um, all the way kind of through college, I kind of like bumped around and did, and did my own like version of yoga or whatever. But then when I got to New York is when I kind of rediscovered, a, a version of a church that was called um, Christian Squared, and it was like three C's. And I went several times. And then when when I came back to LA, when I came back to California, which was in two thousand and nine, that's when I feel as a woman, my spirituality like took root because I found Golden Bridge, I found Tage, and all of these things I had been doing in New York, which was rough and kind of took me away from this like kind of softness that I had as a child. New York kind of hardened me. In what way? Like what what how what did you feel like you were going? I was a there? fighter. I had to because because I was an actress and because I had gotten kind of no work and I was nannying and catering and kind of being beat up by New York in a beautiful way. I now appreciate it, but at the time I felt very angry. And I felt very much like I deserved more. And I'd been acting my whole life. And I went to college for this. And I was like, fuck this. Like, I deserve it. Where's mine? Yeah. And all my friends were succeeding in my mind, right? I'm 23. No, but but all course. my friends were, like, on Broadway. And for whatever reason, it didn't click for me. And I was very angry. And So, because, what, so you were nannying. You were waitressing. I, I mean, literally, like, ha I taught you were like, sorry, preschool. Hand to mouth. Hand to mouth. Like, for whatever reason, I had no money. And I w even though I was, like, making plenty, it was at the time where all I lived in was lack. So the more I got, the more that went out. And spiritually, I was depleted. I was just kind of empty, searching, angry. And what I would call it now is Shaktipad. That was, like, a, a several years, maybe eight years of kind of darkness that kind of made me... Informed who you are. Yeah. And yeah. So when you think back to the time, are you still close with friends that you were in that time? Like how much of that time still connects with you and resonates with you now? I am close with a lot of those people because those are people I went to college with. And a lot of those people came with me to New York and we all lived together and they... And you all had the same dream. We all dream. had the same dream. We Just all so went hard to musical theater. Yeah, it differently. Yep. And everyone's path is different, which I now know. And many of those people who had had early success are now not working. Many of them are. Many people have left the business. But at the time, everything seems so important and, and it's finite. New. And you feel like whatever's happening then is going to define the rest of The it. rest of your life. And it really doesn't. And so for whatever reason, I had my, my fists up. And I remember I met Jason, my husband, at a similar time. And he was like, you're, he literally was like, you're so angry. <laughs> but I love and you like, anyway. But I love you. But like, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And we got this offer for his work to move to L.A., and I was like, okay, I'm from California. Fuck it. I guess I'll go, but I'm over it. I don't want to act. Like I was very like, no way, right? Kind of like, kind of like I had an attitude about it. So wait, it. so at that point when you were still in New York, but now you get this offer, well, Jason gets this offer to move. Were you already processing not acting? Like, kind of. Were you in the place of like, what do I do? Yeah. 
I was in this place. I don't think of, it's acting, so what is it? Well, I was in this place of like, I know I have a, um, a French degree. I know I have a Montessori preschool degree. I can teach. I can nanny. We'll see what happens. I had worked enough in commercials that I knew I was with Innovative Commercially, so I could at least go out with commercials, and, and I did money. immediately yeah. when I got here. But the rest of it had been so hard and so brutal that you were to ready me to just shut the that door. I was like, nope, this is clearly not for me. And, and, were, and again, I know you said you were angry, but I just want to be specific about yeah. when you were shutting this door in your mind of yeah. acting. Were you emotionally ready to shut it or was it kind of just a fuck you shit? No, it was a fuck you shit. Yeah. I was, I would never say that I was emotionally ready to shut it because I'd been acting and like I'd been SAG since I was, I think five or six. Like I joined wow. very young. I did a bunch of commercials and like little guest stars on like shows that shot in San Francisco when I was little. So, and I'd been doing plays my whole life. Like it's in me, like it's all I've ever wanted. And I know that. But because I wasn't, I don't know, I guess I wasn't used to getting my way. I don't know what it was. Right. It was an ego. It was ego. It was well, all probably ego. probably protecting yourself. Like. Yeah. I think I was like, you know, and I had debt. I had like 30 grand in debt. Like it was bad. In debt from anything specific or just not just making living enough money and living in New York? And like, living in New York is expensive. Yeah. And my mom. Especially if you want to have any life at all. If you want to have any life at all. And then my mom and dad both came from kind of broken homes. I was an only child. They both are only children. They had no knowledge of like how to handle money. So I wasn't taught about that. So basically both of them were just like, you know, put it on a credit card. It's fine. Now, and did you like, grow okay. up with their issues growing up? Like where you guys went up and down financially because they didn't know how to handle money? I mean, yeah. Now that I'm aware, a, a human and like an adult <laughs> woman, I like not a human, I'm an adult. I'm like, look back and I'm like, oh, Yes, like my mom was on food stamps as when at a certain point. There was definitely like an up and down. I never went without. I always had everything. I got to the best schools. I got to the best programs. So like they I was always you. they protected me. I was always on scholarships. I always got. I always performed really well. I was really smart, so I put myself through school, and I had like full scholarships my whole career. So I went to the best schools, but. Do I look back? Of course. Like, we lived in a studio apartment when everyone else had houses. Like, we had a Datsun. Everyone had Mercedes. I grew up in Carmel. I was the only Mexican that I knew. Like, every I'm half Mexican, and everyone there is white. And my mom was like, you're not going to speak Spanish because the only people that speak Spanish in Carmel are the gardeners and the, na and the nannies and the maids. So she made me speak French, which now <laughs> I'm like is the worst idea ever. Like, everyone wants me to speak Spanish, and now I'm like, I speak French fluently, if That's... that helps. <laughs> but she was like, we're, I don't, she wanted, like, to fit in, yeah. right? So And she wanted in her mind to give you more, I'm guessing. Yeah, and to get away from my dad, because, like, he had hurt her, not physically. Right. Uh, he cheated on her. And, right. Yeah. So she was like, he's done. He's out of our lives. Was you're he not... totally out of your life? No. No, but for her, that was a closure of, like, you're not going to get to know his family. You're not going to get to know his heritage. You're not going to speak it. You're not right. going to identify with it. Right. So I was just with my mom and her side of the family. Do you regret that at all? Not just the language, but do you feel like 100%. you're missing some of your identity? Oh, for sure. Because, I mean, you, you you look like a beautiful Mexican woman. It's not like you don't look that side. No, and when I meet my dad's relatives, you look like I look identical to them. Like, they're all so beautiful, and they're half of his family is Native American, Apache, and the other half is Mexican, and I've met both sides now, and they're like— And that totally stunning. seems like you're yeah. mixed. And, and very spiritual and very— gregarious and family oriented, which is what I am. And my mom's side of the family is, is not as much that like, you know, there's like a normal white family and they're kind of like disjointed. So, so is your mom, was your mom always spirit? Like she wrote down what you said when you were right. a kid, was she always spiritual or to her was that like, she knew it was fascinating and interesting, but did she connect? Does she connect with you on that level? Yes. 
I, I get a lot of that from, I think more of that actually from my mom than my dad. My mom, um, makes me teary because I think that I got a lot. I've got, but I get a lot of my, my sensitivity from my mom. She's very sensitive and very sweet. And in a, in a strange way, almost childlike because she didn't have a big life like I have here. Like I have a big life. I have a lot going on. And my mom just didn't like, she just kind of was, she didn't. So She's just very sweet and very spiritual. And I think I got that from my mom more than my dad. Yeah, for sure. That's and she was one that was raised me. So I think, of course, it seeped. And my grandmother, too, was very spiritual. Wait, wait, then you got it from both sides. Because it sounds like hereditary, you got it from his, from family, his family. And then yeah. from experiential and just day-to-day in nature and yeah. nurture. It's like through her. So you were right. just double whammy. Double whammy. And my grandmother, who helped raise me, because my mom had to find a job. And I we lived at their house after the studio apartment. We lived at my grandmother's. She would be like... We, you know, we'd talk to the birds, we'd talk to the trees, we'd like go barefoot and walk for hours. And like, there was a very deep spirituality with my grandmother, for sure. It makes she, I lost her when I was 17, but she was so aware of the world and how it works, had such empathy for other people, which is what I, I think where I get that, like, I'm so aware of like how others are feeling yeah. and like helping others. And my grandmother owned two local businesses in Carmel. And she would just give food away. She would let people stay with her. She would take in foster kids, foster animals. Like, I grew up with, like, 11 dogs and cats <laughs> and, like, 15 horses. Like, we ha- we just always were taking in. Even so though she didn't like have... You're always meeting a lot of kids, too. Like, if she was taking in kids, too, were they in your purview? When I say or? kids, not, like, living with her, but, like, if someone needed help, like, a, she, was help she was there. And there was always people around her house and around her restaurant and around our And she our was, like, store. mom number two to you. Oh, for sure. For sure. And you were very and close to your grandfather. Very, well, very close to my grandpa and my grandmother. And both of them were just giving, giving when they didn't have a lot. They didn't have like a ton of money. It was just like this feeling of we have more than some people, so we're going to give it away. But it's fascinating because when I asked you, did you go through these struggles as a kid? You actually were like, well, now I realize I did. Right. That's not, You didn't say, oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You're like, no. now I realize because I'm the one who's like running the household and right. you know what right. it means. Right. But you had no clue. No. Which is no. so unbelievable that there was just so much love. It was and- so much love and it was so much about like we had so much more than so many people that I always felt taken care of and rich, if anything, compared to those around me. But when I look back on the situation, I was like, oh, not that, I mean, it was more material. Like, oh, I had like not the nicest car or like we had like but look, the fake But honest, material drives a lot of people. <laughs> so does. that actually hinders a lot of people right. both because of what they have or don't have right. and the judging of it. So the fact that you were given such a huge lesson just when you were a kid. Right. I mean, you have a leg up on so many people that it takes them till they're 40 to realize that. Right. And I, you know, I, I, I struggle with this now as a woman bringing a child into this world. I'm in a very different financial place than my mom and parents were. And I want to make sure, but I love how I was raised and I love the feelings that I have towards this world and other people. And I want to make sure that my daughter has that. And so I struggle with Jason. I'm like, how are we going to make sure that she isn't spoiled and like given everything and is aware that really how lucky she is. Like really not even just like that we, you know, that I'm an actress on a show or whatever, like that we are able to afford different things, but like, like the basics, like even just compared to like how I was raised. I struggle with the same thing. It's, it's really hard because we can infuse what we want as far as lessons and teaching and that's hugely important. But then there's also an environment you're also 
raised in. And you're like, how right. do you balance that where you don't want to keep them from that because you want them to fit in? Right. Right. Not that that means buy them everything and do what everyone else has. Right. But you also don't want to ostracize them. But how do you also make sure you infuse that they're aware that they, they're they in a situation where they are lucky? They're right. given so many opportunities. Like, I struggle with it daily, too. And it is it, it weighs on me because... I feel like I was given so many practical lessons as a child too that I'm terrified with by environment. Environment. She, yeah. My daughter's not going to have the same right. things. I think that it's going to be important as we our daughters are growing to like take them out of LA and like travel abroad and yeah. show them, you know, build a school somewhere, build wells, like take them out of this so that this is not the norm. This right. is not the norm, basically. LA is a nightmare. It, it, it's really <laughs> not the norm. It is really difficult. It yeah. is it's a very stratified world. Yeah. And the high is very high and the yeah. low is very low. very low. So it is really Or even just take them down to like just go, go down the block, the block a, right. a mile. People don't realize <laughs> exactly. that. I mean, we're in such a little bubble. Like you yeah. drive just through Koreatown on the way down just a block yeah. and you see a whole different world. Yeah. Um, so let's back up. Yeah. So Jason gets this, you know, right. Jason gets this job. We he gets here in 2009. You're like, fuck you acting. We're going to go new start for me. You're kind of excited. You're not sure. I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm whatever. a little like whatever about it. And I start auditioning for some things. I get a job at Huckleberry, which is still one of those, that whole crew is like still so close to my heart in Santa Monica. I worked there for like three years. Um, I got, I got up early at like 5am and I did like, I helped bake a little bit in the kitchen. And then I transitioned to be at the front of house where I would, I actually ended up being a manager and I would schedule people and I would give them breaks. And it's essentially like a cafe where you place an order and then you sit down and we bring you the food. It's not like table service, Mm -hmm. but that was very humbling for me. That was at a time when I was like. I really hit, to be honest, like rock bottom. Like, let's just call it what it is. Like, I was like contemplating having to claim bankruptcy. Like, Jason and I both were not in a good place because he had a startup business that was um, called Feed Granola that was a success. But he didn't have, his main investor died for a bunch of reasons. He, He lost his funding. And so we both were kind of like, it was a, it was a point where I, I couldn't pay my bills. Right. And I remember taking a call with this company that was going to, like, I would pay them every month and then they would pay my credit card. I forget what that's called, but, like, a consolidation thing where they would take and, like, get rid of your debt. And at that point, I was working at Huckleberry and, like, bringing home my tips and putting them on the refrigerator and, like, adding up every day, like, how much I had and, like, using that cash to like pay for like food and I was riding my bike so I didn't have to buy gas. Like it was, this was like 2010. Like this was pretty dark. Yeah. There was a, not many people know about this. I don't speak openly about this, but it was a, it was between me and Jason a time where we were like, something has to change. This, we cannot sustain this. How are you two doing as far as a couple in that time? Um, it was again kind of rough. I mean, because that's, it's hard. Those are hard. Combative. But all, it was combative, but also, amazingly bonding like we had each other and that's all we knew and that was we got through it and, and you had we, to figure it out together. we had to figure out together and we took these calls together and we figured it out and what ended up happening is that was a, like right go this was like right going into 2010 this was about 2010 and I found um Tej on New Year's Day of 2010 I think this was like over Thanksgiving of 2009 like it was pretty Right after we had moved here, it was pretty rough. You're getting chills. I'm, I'm getting the chills because it was maybe a year later that I found Tej at Are a very low moment for me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. In 2011? Yeah. It was like 2011. And am I going and to- it was not Christmas, but it was probably like 
fall. Yeah. Okay. So almost a year later. And listen, I, again, was still in that place where I was like, I don't need a change. Like, I know what I'm doing. I can figure it out. Kind of like still, but I was humbled enough that my friend invited me to this class on New Year's Day. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, okay, fine. Like, so what, never did, they, heard of this. what did they say you're going to? Um, a, a yoga class. That was the same At thing with Golden me. Yoga. No so I idea. assumed it would be... No, I, me too. Yeah. Vinyasa, downward, Stretch, downward dog. Right. And I was coming from Santa Monica to this was when Golden Bridge was, was right on, here on Highland. On Highland, but Vine, like deep, oh, like, right, the old, right. old one. Yeah. And my all I can say is that day my heart burst open. I was weeping. I'll never forget this song that she played, I am bountiful, I am blissful, I'm beautiful. And then the longtime son, I was like in done. That's what I was mean. I was a puddle. I was like this. Now is take the a home. moment here to explain what Kundalini Yoga is. Kundalini yoga is... And, like, is, you can even say it through what your first impression was. Like, you walked in thinking it was going to be what everyone thinks of yoga. Yeah. And yet, what exactly. was it? Exactly. It, it's not like your typical vinyasa flow class that does... It's not, like, as physical, let's say. It's a, it's a, it's a practice that actually the Western world has gotten rid of, but it used to be included in vinyasa classes where it's breath work, it's heavy, heavy breathing, it's heavy mantra and heavy mudra, um, which is hand positioning with um, meditation. And basically you're opening up your spine and breathing the way the basically the way that Tej described it that day because I had been new was like you're breathing out all the shit, all the yucky stuff and clearing your head and raising your vibration in a very simple term so that you can go through your day and go through your life and things aren't as hard because what you did on the mat is super hard. So you, and it's a, what they call a householder's practice. So Yogi Bhajan, who brought the practice in the late sixties to America from India, you know, says you don't need hours and hours and hours and hours of meditation. You don't need to go through thousands of hours of teacher training to be a teacher. Literally Kundalini yoga will change your vibration with three minutes of ego eradicator or fist of anger or whatever, whatever you're, whatever you can do in three minutes, your vibration changes. And that's what a householder has. You have three minutes. minutes. You don't have 35 or 50, right? So it's a practice that works quickly. And if you commit and you keep up, you will be kept up. That's like their overall mantra. And that is what I have experienced over the last 17, uh, seven years. It's it's now 2017. Yeah. So about seven years. So you came in, Tej happened to be your teacher. Um, Which is such a blessing. Me too. Because I don't. <laughs> By the way, it's funny. Only in hindsight, you have no clue. You're like, oh, I'll go to this class and it's just a yeah. teacher. And then you find out later, this is someone who's revered and one of, if like you, a if you master. Them, the be- a master yeah. of her craft right. and people seek her out. So yeah. it is an am- it is an amazing pull and draw. It was such a draw. And I went almost every day from Santa Monica to this place in Hollywood. And I went for like six to eight months every day. And then I signed up for teacher training and I started to see, I started to see a shift in my life. That's uh, the best way of explaining is that I just started to feel clarity. I started to feel a higher, happier vibration. Now, mind you, I'm still doing all the self-help work that I have always been drawn to, which I got really into which like Abraham what? Hicks, okay, yep. Louise Hay, um, lo- the law of attraction, v- Wayne Dyer. Mm-hmm. So even on my transition from New York here, I had started to feel, because I knew I was like in a bad place, that I needed to shift something, right? Do you think so, the move helped with you feeling I that? I think so. I think it got me out of whatever oh, rut right. I was in. And all of these like positive thinking things <laughs> mixed with Kundalini like, I think it was like the magic potion. And I 
would apply how I felt in Kundi and all of the like positive thinking law of attraction, Abraham Hicks stuff that I was doing within my class. And then I saw a I saw a change. I felt better. People were nicer to me. I started like just kind of attracting what I was putting out there. So like you change your vibration, meaning you, you raise, and we can do it every day. You can do it whenever you feel yucky in your car, walking around, heavy breath work, just get it out. And then you feel better. So better things come to you. And all of a sudden I was like, like I tested for a pilot. I didn't even know what that was. And I'm not, listen, I'm not saying this is like a magic potion that everyone who wants to be an actress no, needs to, to you go have do to this. do the work also. But it's such hard work. That's yes, the thing. You have and to like put these in the classes work. are an hour and a half and I went every day. And then when I did teacher training, I it was um, six months of teacher training that we did at the old Golden Bridge. I graduated with Guru Muk and Guru Shabad and Hari Jiwan and Tej. And it was the, oh my God, it was the most torturous time of my life. Like I can't, it was so hard and it was so, it was a lot of money. And I remember not having the money, but it came somehow it came. And I put some on a credit card and I saved up my tips from Huckleberry and I paid a bunch in cash. And it was like this thing that I just needed. I needed to be alone. I needed to close my eyes. I needed to go within. I needed to sort it all out and like figure it all out. And things become very clear to you when you're meditating. When you take the time to be quiet and sit alone and go within, your world opens up and you're able to burn through what they call karma. And so a lot of baggage and a lot of um, blocks are are in, in us. And through meditation, whatever kind you choose, for me it was it's kundalini, you blow through it and you kind of get rid of these blocks and these limiting beliefs that you don't even know you're li you're living. And these limiting beliefs go away and you're able to like live at a higher level. And how is it? So now you're with Jason. Is he like all on board? Yes, go do it. Is he like, what is this weird thing he's doing every day? He's, he's not he's not exactly no. one to go there. No, you're I different. mean, he, he definitely came to my graduation. He came to like the um, 11, 11, 11, like he came, he comes to like big things and all he knew was that things were better. I was in a better place. So I felt better. And he, he was so supportive. And every day he would see me meditate and I would do my, I had a 31 minute meditation that I did for like a year and a half. And I did several other ones that I was working with because there's thousands and thousands of meditations in Kundalini. And Part of why Kundalini, I think it's like a weird rap, is that a lot of Sikhs are Kundalini, so they wrap their heads and wear all white, and they like have sabers. And I did not go that deep. When I meditate, I do wear white, I do wrap my head, but I I'm not like a practicing Sikh. But Jason at first was like, "Why are you all like?" It was kind of weird. He like got nervous. You were going to yeah, do a transformation away from him. Kind of like it, it's kind of like jarring. Because yeah. it's kind of an extreme type of meditation. And it is. It's it's intense. You feel it. There's yeah. such an intense energy around it. I think it's impossible not to feel that. that I mean, that's a, probably a huge shift in you. Huge shift in me. Yeah. And he, he felt it immediately because he's very in tune with me. All he knew was that it was working. 
All he knew was that, the, like, he would get to the point, and he still does, by the way, where he'll be like, have you meditated today? Yeah. <laughs> like, if something's, like, That's a little That's a nice way of being, like, snarky. Being <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, and he knows now, like, mantras are always playing in our home. I have them in my car all the time. Like, I live, I sleep to mantra. There's mantras already in the baby's room. Um, mm-hmm. Mantras are a map for the mind. And, again, it changes the frequency and the vibration of the space. It keeps the space. And when you you know, we're humans. So our minds spiral and our minds get distracted and mantra keeps the brain and the mind on track and not necessarily towards anything in particular, but it just keeps it from spiraling right. and going deep and dark, which we want to do. Yeah. That's our, that's our ego mind wants to take us away and it knows that we're trying to work and be good. And so it'll like, where do you feel like your ego's gotten the best of you? Um, I think in in Hollywood, it's hard. It's hard. It's a struggle all the time. We're we're in a business where being famous is important. Um, your followers, your your financial success, your quote, whatever, like that kind of stuff is so petty and unimportant. But when you're surrounded by it all the time, that's like a topic of conversation, and that becomes like. The, for whatever reason, it's like what they define you define you as. So I think that my ego will get in the way there if I lose a part or if I feel that someone is getting, you know, more recognition or whatever, I have to check myself constantly. But if I meditate in the morning, which I try to do, I notice that I don't struggle with that as much. And I notice that I kind of find my sense of self and I find my equilibrium and I'm able to navigate through all of that much easier. How did your sense of self change through Kanoini? I feel like I went back to myself. So I feel like what happened is I kind of lost myself in my my 20s, <laughs> maybe even like through college into my whole New York years. And then I came here when I was like 28, I guess. And I think that I'm now softer and back to like what I was as a child, that, that sense of awe with my grandma and my mom and like being aware and being touched by people. I think I'm a softer version of who I was. I think I'm also, I've been through a shit ton of stuff. Like I've learned a lot about this business, about myself, what I can withstand, how I handle people and being. So talk about that a lot. Like, what do you feel like when you say shit ton of stuff, what are some of the things that come to you that your stomach just goes, oh, when you even think about it? I've had, you know, I've just had run-ins with friends or colleagues that are, that come at me and are like super aggressive and angry and mean and coming from a different place than where I am. And my normal reaction or what most people want to do is fight back an eye for an eye, get at them, tear them down too. Um, and instead I, I found through this practice and just through where I am as a woman right now that I'm able to like breathe and talk to them like quietly and like almost talk them down out of this like angry state. I don't want to be super specific, but there's a couple of instances that come to mind where basically I don't realize how my my actions affect other people, which none of us do, right? Because right. how are we supposed you to learn, always- You learn the hard way. You learn the hard way. And so when things that happened like literally seven years ago, six years ago, come back out of, and I'm like, how do you even remember that? But it, Or why it, did it take you so long? Or why did it take you so long? Like that's on you. But instead of overreacting- I just apologize. Like my ego is gone. Like if something, if I've hurt someone, I'm sorry. Do you feel like through the practice, as you've gone back to yourself, the people you keep around you is different? Yeah. Like have you lost some people in this this growth? 
I've, I've lost some people and I also just know the people that I don't care to keep around me. So I don't work as hard because their energy, they lead from a negative, angry place or a hurt place. And I, I send them love and I send them light and blessings, but I don't need them in my life on a daily basis. Like the people that I keep, I have a lot of beautiful friends. I have a well, lot I was gonna of- say you have a very attractive personality. Right. You attract, I mean, yeah. you really do. So how do you discern? And like you said, you have a lot of beautiful friends. Right. So. I mean, I think the way I always discern is when I leave a situation, do I feel elevated or depleted? That's just my gauge. And there are certain people that just deplete me that I feel like I'm the giver, I'm the giver, which is tricky because I'm usually the giver in most of my friendships because I right. am so vivacious and kind of open and I'm, I will listen, I will give you advice. I think I'm a very good friend, but part of that, as I'm getting older now, that now that I'm even more specific with my time and, and I'm very, I like guard it because I'm having a baby and I know that like, I'm not going to have a lot of time. I just simply don't reach out to people that I feel like bring, bring my energy or my vibration down. If that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. How, how many people do you feel like do you have in your, I mean, arsenal is not the right word, but I'll say arsenal because yeah. it is. It's like how you protect yourself and that are you, you go to when you need to take. And by take, I mean like you need a little help. You need a, advice. You I need mean, I probably have like five to 10 good friends. You're one of those people. Like if I need something or if I'm really struggling with something, Jason's always for me. <laughs> I got don't I got emotional. <laughs> um, but you've been like that. I mean, I remember our talks years ago before any of this even happened. Yeah. Like you've always been for whatever reason, like a sounding board and someone that I speaks my language. So that's such a blessing. Um, Jason's always my number one. And then I think like I call him my angel. I really do. I feel like he was somehow sent into my world to speak, he speaks the truth. He speaks with none of this ego of Hollywood. And never has. And never has. And he's just plain and simple. And when I'm wrong, he tells me. When I've messed up or said the wrong thing, or if my ego's getting the best of me, he's very honest. He's like, that's not right. You're coming at this wrong. Like he's just, he calls it as it is. And talk about like the magic of you two, because look, it's a marriage. There's ups and there's downs, especially right. I think in the beginning when you started like that union, I think it's right. a little freaky. It freaks a lot it of people can be. out. So I don't know how you felt with that, but talk about like how you guys navigate that. Well, I don't, I just feel like Jason has been my biggest blessing when we, we talked, we talked about this literally last night really? because August 5th for, for some reason from the last 10 or 15 years, how long have we been together? 10 years? A long time. Well, 14. We met in 2004, so 13 years. August 5th was always this date that we would check in every year and say what we wanted for the next year. And Who it was started like that? Me, when we were at his grandparents' lake house, um, this tiny little lake house in the Poconos. And I had, and like we would make a list, and then usually it would happen by the next year. Why, why did you start that? We started, actually, that's not true. We started in 2010 around Tej when I started manifesting and really working with vision boards. Yes. We had gone back for the 4th of July and, um, I had said, I want, let's pick a date. We picked August 5th for whatever reason. Probably availability. And probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and we looked, we had made a list last year and we had said like, we want to have a baby like around and we had now we like, I'm having a baby, like basically every life changing thing happens like once we say it for whatever reason in that check, we call it our check-in. I know. And so I had said, um, like I, three years ago, I was like, I need to be 
on a show that goes for at least like six to seven years. I can't get on, I can't do, keep doing these pilots. And I want to be on a CBS show that is like a family show because I want to have an easy schedule. I want it to be a comedy. And then that was like the year that I booked Life in Pieces and it got picked up. Now, I'm totally getting the chills. And I know people are probably so annoyed that I say that all the time. <laughs> but I promise you, when I get chills, there's always, it means there's like a connection in the universe, which right. for most people. But I know the reason I'm getting it is because I can attest that you are telling the truth. Right. Because we've had so many conversations. And I actually wrote it as one of my things I wanted to talk about. Intention, I wrote. I've never, yeah. and I've called you a magic maker. <laughs> Every time you sit down and you're like, well, this is how I want it to happen. It uh -huh. does. Yeah. But not, and again, I, I, we should talk about it because I think it's important for people to know, yes, you're a magic maker, but it's not that you're just like, tomorrow I want blank. You're working for it. No, you're putting I'm stuff behind that energy of putting that intention out there. Because I do think manifestation and intention can be very confusing for people. Yes. I find that people can be like, well, I said I wanted it, or I put that post-it on my mirror, why isn't it happening? And I think they're missing a whole nother equation or part right. of it that has to actually help push it out to the universe right. so it does come back to you. Right. So please talk about it because I've never met more of a magic maker than you. Right. And I was there when you said exactly what type of show you want yep. to be on. I was there when you told me you want to be pregnant exactly when? Right. I mean, you were at my house, remember? I I'm know, like, what remember. does it matter if you do it now or later? Go home, like later. You're staying. I literally left your party. Right. Because I was like, yeah. and you were going to leave earlier. I'm like, um, you can stay a little longer. It's not going to change it at all. And sure enough, it didn't. And, and I remember Jason going, she's right. <laughs> um, if it's going to be, it's going to be. And you, so put, you already put it out there. It was happening. So yeah. Yeah. you please talk a little bit more about that. Because I do think from your experience, it doesn't have to be just from sure. your experience, because I think there is something really to well, that. I get it. I, you know, people ask me about this a lot. And I think that the difference manifestation and, and um, what was the other Inten word? Intention, intention. Intention are very confusing, tricky words. The way I have come about it is I experience, I take all of my life experience, which I have every day and all of the things that happened to me. And then I, I kind of compartmentalize it and I'm like, okay, this part I loved. I love all of it. First of all, I love and have gratitude for everything, the bad stuff, the good stuff. You okay. And you have to be humbled and you have to appreciate everything that happens to you. And no, my greatest piece of advice is that it all is okay. And it's all for a reason. So I take that knowing what's happened to me and I look back at my life and I'm, and these are all usually during meditations, by the way, this is me sitting, okay, like meditating on all of these things, but knowing that there's something I want or something specific that I want to change. And then from all the things that have happened, I then decide what I want differently. So it's basically like, I loved this show or this job, or and these people, and I'm it. thankful for it. And I learned, these are the things I learned. I learned what it's like to be a series regular. I learned what it's like to make money. I learned what it's like to go to work every day and have a job where I'm not just doing a one-off quick guest star, but where I have to cultivate a character. So now what I want is that same thing, but I'd like it to look like this. And then I'm super specific. I journal for days. I go deep. I literally act as if I have it already and I act as if I'm just making my life the way I want it. I'm telling a new story. I tell the story that I want to tell. Like I want to tell to everyone. I'm on the show. This is the people that I work with. I go to work at this time. Like my trailer looks like this. 
And it's basically make-believe, but if you if you see it and visualize it, and it's basically kind of like acting, you have to be, you have to have intention behind it and you have to like see it. You can't just like say it. You have to like visualize it and have the images in your head to make it real. You have basically it goes back to law of attraction where like this cord, someone had to imagine it to make it. My life, someone has to imagine it to make it. So you apply those same rules to your life. And when I get really still and really calm and like almost factual about what I want and the reasons I want those things. So the reason I wanted this particular kind of show, for example, is because I wanted to be able to have a family. Right. And I wanted to be able to have a lovely life with my husband and go travel, which we could never afford to do before. And I want to be able to take care of my family because they took care of me. Like, there's a reason. It's not just because I want a Maserati. Right. I don't care about that kind of stuff. But you have to tell the universe is listening and feeling everything. And they need to. it needs to know why. Why? It can't just be empty. It's like an and interview. It's like an interview. <laughs> You're applying. I'm and applying for this. <laughs> I think that where I went wrong for like 15 years <laughs> is that like I would put in kind of the work where I'd be like, I'm fucking, I'm going to class. I'm doing this. So I deserve it. Where's mine? That is actually a polarizing um, vibration to put out to the universe. Explain and it does why. not respond. Because that's basically like... Um, a low vibration thought. It's a low vibration of gimme, fuck you. It, it feels angry. You can even hear my voice. Like it, it feels, it's, it's the opposite of gratitude and abundance. It's I want, I want, if, if you, if you get it, I don't. No, there's plenty for everyone. Everyone has a job. Everyone can do it. Everyone, if I get a job, that's great. That means you're even closer to getting a job. If you get a job, that's even better because now I, this next job could be mine. But when you're like, oh, that person got a job. Oh, that person, oh, I could have gotten that. It's so hard it's to be around people that aren't happy for so, you too. Right. It's Oof. so hard. But that was me for many years. Right. And I felt, the those, bottom line is I felt the difference. Are those some of the things you're referring to might have come back like seven years later? People remembering that? Remembering that lack I think, of support? I think part of that, yes, I think part of that. Absolutely. Some of those actions were the old me that was like, like kind of like biting and sharp. Yeah. Like I can't, exp I can't no, explain I feel it other it. than that. Like I, I feel like it's, it's just, um a way of being that has shifted in me. It's just like my vibration has shifted. And now when I work at it, please, I still work at this every day. But when people get jobs or think good things happen and everything's good is happening, I'm just trying to be grateful for all of it. And isn't it nice when you actually genuinely are happy for someone? Yeah. It's a great feeling. But going back to manifest, yes, it is. But going back really quick to the <laughs> manifestation is that like the bottom line is, is that like I put hours and hours and days and months and weeks into these things that I want. Like I don't, I go to class. I, even with Leslie Kahn, like I still went to acting. I, I still teach now eight months pregnant on a show for three. I've been teaching for the past six years. That will never change. Like I put in the work and I show up. And I think that's the difference between just like, like writing a quick note and like, I and want this the and then putting it in yeah. the fire and like making a wish. I keep this like idea and this visualization around me all the time. 
I never stop thinking about it. I never stop feeling it. I never stop imagining it. It's on my like phone. And what do you do? Is there, because we talk about this a lot here, is there fear attached to that sometimes? Like, or do you have such faith it's going to happen? No, I just have faith and I have, a, again, appreciation and gratitude for when it comes. And, and I say all the time, like, I know that this is going to, this could come whenever. I know that there's no timeline on this. It might this, not but be I, when you think it absolutely, should be. But I can't wait for it to come. And it's going to be so great when it, when it happens. It's going to be such a so blessing. So it's just undying belief. Yeah. I'm like, I, I say this to myself even about labor, going into labor, because it's the scariest thing. And I may not even have to now, but like, it's the scariest thing for sure that you know you have to do. It's inevitable. You're like on a train that's like, right. you can't stop the train. Right. But I've never let myself down. That's the bottom line. Like I have full and complete trust in myself. I have never failed at anything. Not like I'm the best, but I've never like lost my shit and failed right. at anything. You have a, your definition of failure, which I think is actually really great, is very different than a lot of people's. So that's right. why you had to like define it. Define right it. You were like, oh, right. no, 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 I'm not being like a conceited ass. Your right. point is, no, no, everybody messes up. Yeah. Everybody has moments. I do that. Failure in your mind is, you should explain it. Because I actually think that's an important thing for well, people to change their mindset. I just mean that like, even when I've messed up and not gotten what I've wanted or not succeeded, which has happened many times, of course, I still pick myself up. I've got myself and I go to the next thing and I, I pick up the pieces and I think the failure. So failure never defined on. you. It's never defined me. And I know that. So I have such ease about my life because I know, like I say this even about life in pieces. I'm like, that's going to end. And I may not get another show for a minute. And I may not do the next thing that I want to do, which is like, let's say, be the lead of a show and it goes for another seven years or whatever. <laughs> but that might not happen for a minute. And that's okay because it's going to happen and I'm going to be fine. And I've never let myself down. I've never failed. So then I go to the next thing and everything turns into a blessing. Everything turns into what you want it to be. Well, I think just walking the steps of life with the everything's going to be okay because even right. when it's been bad, I have survived and I've right. been okay automatically get, allows you to breathe through things. It breathes. My favorite saying is everything is going to be okay in the end. If it's not okay, it's not the end. Right. And that's I beautiful. Like, I mean, I've, I'm obsessed with that yes, saying. Me too. I say it to myself probably a hundred times a day. Because if, if it's not, not okay, you're in it. You're, you're in it. You're in the middle learning. of learning. Yeah. And then if it's the end, you die and that's it. <laughs> right. And then that's a whole other conversation about coming back and karma. But like, if it's, you know, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And even the things that feel the worst and the failures and the things that we don't get or the fights or the the big things that we are so close to and and just come in right under it, there is a reason. And for me, the best example that I can think of is when I didn't get my the first show I booked. I mean, as far as my career, I booked the show called Devious Maids and it got picked up not on ABC, but on Lifetime. And a, several of the series regulars didn't go with Lifetime. They did not go to the show because they didn't have enough money and it was shooting in Atlanta. And there was a, and that was my first, I was, de I was devastated. It was right before my wedding. I thought, I'm never going to work again. This is my nightmare. And I remember it was right before my engagement party and I went and I sat on my sheepskin and I did my 31 minute <laughs> mantra and I breathed through it. And all that kept coming to me is there's a reason just, just keep going, keep going, keep up and you'll be kept up, keep up and you'll be kept up, which is Yogi Bhajan's words. And so I kept up, I went to class the next week, I kept auditioning and then I booked enlisted like within two weeks. And I'm not saying that that's like 
the best thing that happened. But you were taken show, care of. But I was taken care of. And, and again, I'm, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's talk about the most important part. <laughs> exactly. And then we met. But like, again, in the moment, it always feels so severe. It always feels so awful. And it's just a day. It's just a day in your life. It's just a moment in your life. And you keep going and you keep up and you, you'll be kept up and, and if you'll you, be fine. And if you don't keep going, there's no way anything can happen no. for you. What are you going to do? Sit there, right, and wallow. And how does it find you? It can't yeah. find you. No, you have to. You have to stay present and stay above it to be like, I'm here. I'm still here, still kicking. And I was old, by the way. All this happened. Like I'm not a spring chicken. You know, this all happened in my 30s. <laughs> you seem like such a spring chicken. I though, know. Which but I that's love. That's because I meditate. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. How do you? I mean, there's just so much. Talk to me about like one of the most profound meditations you've ever had. Um, my. I know for a fact that the most profound meditation I've ever done is this is a 31 minute mantra that Tej gave me that I've I've worked with on and off for six years. It's the women's intuitive knowing. And it goes, it's a 31 minute meditation that goes, you you're um looking at your third eye and um you it's very hard because it's very annoying. Kundalini is not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easy, but it it calms your mind in a way that like you get lost mm. in it and you go so deep and it feels, it's the most relaxed you'll ever be. It feels so good. It is interesting. It's like you come out of a Kundalini um, class and for those of you who have done like a gong meditation or a sound meditation and sometimes you literally feel the vibrations, mm -hmm. you can get that from Kundalini without even having a, a gong. gong. Right. You like, you, you like, you oh get my God, there's all this breath. vibration yeah. literally going yeah. through me. And I remember... In 2013, I took a class at um, Rama. It, it's over in Venice, but it, it was new, brand new then. And this teacher, Guru Joss, who does White Sun and the beautiful Kundalini music, she taught this class and we were doing this really intense, like up and down um, for like 10 minutes, um, clearing your aura. And I fell over and I had basically what they call Kundalini rising. And that was my first Kundalini rising. And I couldn't, like, it was the most beautiful, amazing, like, I keep wishing I would have another one. Well, talk about, talk <laughs> it. Was what, so so what happened? Like, from your point of view, do you know well, that you Well, I do know over? what happened. Yeah, I knew I fell over because Guru Joss came over to me at the end. And she was like, you had a Kundalini rising. How do you feel? And I was, she's like, you need to stay grounded, eat a lot of food, eat, like, salt, like, potatoes and, like, root vegetables. Um, your spine opened up. Basically, a kundalini rising kundalini is like you've done so much work on your spine and your breath that your the energy in your spine shoots through the, your tenth gate, and you you kind of like tenth gate being kind of the, the, the top, top of your, of your head, head, which is why we wrap our heads, when, especially when you do really intense breath work. Um, and there's it's not like danger, nothing happens. You just like literally like lose your balance. And I couldn't. I felt like this pressure and I saw a foot in front of me, which Guru Joss said was Yogi Bhajan's foot. But that was the day that Enlisted got picked up to series. Isn't that weird? That is weird. So I, I went and got food and then we got this call that Enlisted got picked up for 13. That was the first television show that got picked up to series. No, and that really changed your But it direction. changed my trajectory. Yeah. And what she said, and which is very clear now, Tasia said this too, because I, I had another one um, minor, not not nearly as deep, but in one of Tasia's class. But she says that a lot of times kundalini risings come at a time if you are practicing deep practitioner and you do a lot of work, it comes at a time when life changes are happening. When you're getting you're kind of like getting shocked to like get ready for the next thing. And I was like, well, yeah, because that was definitely the biggest thing at that time that had ever happened to me. And I just remember feeling like almost out of body. Like not of, not of this world. Like I could almost see myself from above, 
um, which is, I'm not a hippy dippy weirdo. No, I, I mean, swear to God, that was like the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me. And I, <laughs> and it felt so good that I wish it would happen again, but it hasn't yet. So we'll see. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so you saw, right. I mean, it does sound amazing. It sounds crazy. I know. No, I mean, I believe in that stuff. So right. it doesn't sound crazy to me, but I think regardless. And not to say you guys, if you're out there and you're listening and you've never done Kundalini, like don't be freaked that you're going to get a Kundalini rising. It, I had been practicing at that point very solidly for three and a half years. And it was like just this one class, this one particular moment. And I had been doing a lot of deep meditation and tantric work on myself. So I think it was just like, I was poised for this change. Do you have any friends that have a hard time with kind of your positivity? Yeah. I have, I'll have run-ins with people that like don't buy it. (laughs) They're like. Because uh, you're being inauthentic. Yeah. Yeah. But you're, I mean, I can tell the difference. I always say I do actually don't do well with fake nice people. It actually makes me so uncomfortable. Me too. You're not fake nice. No. You are just, but you exude this, like, it's right. crazy how much positivity comes right. out of you. But what's interesting is these two particular friends have resurfaced in my life recently and have, like, apologized interesting. for it. Because they're like, you know, a couple of years later, they're like, oh, you're so legit. Can you take me to class? Like, what's happening? Teach me. Like, Show me. Teach yeah, me. Yeah. Which is beautiful, actually. Well, and, and interestingly, like, those particular people were people that, like, I started to have success. And it, the friendship dynamic changes where they had been the ones with success and all of a sudden I was like kind of meeting them and it was difficult for them because I guess ego or you get used to like a certain so, dynamic and yeah. now they are fine and it's it's actually kind of sweet. Sometimes but, people need time also to readjust to that new dynamic. Well, and sometimes people like surround themselves with friendships and situations and relationships that make them feel better and like kind of like I'm this and you're that. Like you're down here and I'm up here. And that's not like a good way of living because ideally what you really want is people at your same level or higher so that you can aspire to be great. And by level, what I think is interesting to be clear, you're not referring to status. No, no, no. You're not referring to job or money. You're talking emotional. Emotional. Like emotional. I think that people can, whether or not you believe in any of this, our, our vibrations are there and you sense it. You can tell when someone feels good or not or yucky or makes you feel good. And a lot of people, especially in this industry and here in LA, I think from my observation, keep lower vibrating people around them so that they feel better. Feel better. And they can't handle it when someone and starts to feel and better. And it's such a shame, especially in the world of entertainment, which is so up and down and tumultuous. You want that the people around you at the same level because that's constant. It doesn't matter yeah. what job you have. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't right. matter what losses you've had or gains you've had. That's a constant. So it's you know constant. you know that relationship is just steadfast and yeah. strong. And it's that's so beautiful. Right. And also you can speak to this, but like in this industry, I don't care how, and this is not vibrationally, but like successful, right? Or how many gains you've had. There will be a time when we're all, you know, you're going to be right down there looking for a job like everyone else. I think it's blown my mind more than anything that people never keep that perspective because they get very caught up in being up when they're up. And like anything in life, there's up and there's downs and you cannot escape it. And especially in this business, like everybody gets an up and everybody gets a down. And it's like to not remember who you are in that so that when you have your down, you can ride it. Well, I think that's why I like why I am the way I am. And because I was, first of all, so late in life, not late, but like in my 30s to get these successes. Right. But also like, that's why I still teach. That's why I'm like still clipping coupons and like (laughs) returning things and being crazy. Like I, I know, I know for a fact that like there will be a time where I'm like looking for a job and like knocking, you know, knocking around again. And I think that 
if you lose sight of that, um, it's really sad and hard for you when you come off of your high yeah. to like have to like be humbled again and like look for it. I have too many, I have too many friends who've been on shows for six to 10 years and now all of a sudden can't get a job. Right. It takes time. Yeah. I mean, it's a nightmare. And if you don't remember who you are, it's that process of redefining yourself can be really, really difficult. Right. Like that you who you are at, at your core. Yeah. So it doesn't matter. Before all the stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so what would you say is the most surprising thing about yourself? Hmm. That's interesting. Well, I, I would say to a lot of people, like what, if you don't know me now, you all probably know <laughs> that me. this would be but the most surprising. Yeah. Thing. I think that like my sensitivity and my, like the hard work that I put into myself, like on a daily basis, I think that people would be surprised at that because, you know, on social media or in my stories or in my, in my life, like, it seems like I'm just kind of like easy breezy going about it, but I'm very like calculated and I'm very specific and I'm, I work very hard to maintain what I have, but also to check in and make sure that like, I'm still okay. And going through all of this, that like nothing's really changed. And I, I think that that could be surprising because that's not what you expect from most people in television, maybe. I don't know. And so in this world of kind of knowing who you are, coming from you know, less money and still clipping coupons. Right. <laughs> What's your indulgence? It doesn't even have to be material. What is your indulgence? <laughs> um, my, oh. Like, what can you not say no to, even though you're like, come on. Well, I do Tracy Anderson, <laughs> full disclosure, and that's like a lot of money every month. And I, <laughs> uh, but this is an example of something that I had had on my manifestation board. And I said, if I'm going to make money and look like a look like a star of a TV show, I need to do what I need to do to look like that. So I joined Tracy Anderson before I booked Life in Pieces three years ago. And I was like, I'm going to commit to this because it's going to make me feel good. I'm going to look beautiful. And that's the the level at which I need to commit to my body and myself to be a star, quote unquote, of a show. And I feel like that was like actually strangely a mind. It was, it made me feel amazing to be going to Tracy, knowing that I'm spending that much money. So that's an indulgence. I'll like the other indulgence is like, I'll go to Target and I'll buy like five boxes of LaCroix, not just one. <laughs> like I'll get like all of the flavors or I'll go get like, this is so weird, but I used to, when I nannied, I used to think mango was like this huge expensive indulgence. It's not like that much money, but like they're kind of like still in your chopped head. up ma mango. So I remember when I like, was like, I'm going to buy mango. I'm going to buy chopped up mango and like not even chop it myself. That, and that was like such an indulgence. Like, not only am I buying it, someone else is cutting it for me. <laughs> like little things like that where I don't worry about that kind of stuff. And then I'll get facials like that too. But like I don't indulge in like shopping or anything dumb like a bag. Like me, maybe me once, either. but I'm not. That's why you, I always you're, look like you're a like, <laughs> I know. Me too. We're very similar. Like I always look homeless. Basically. <laughs> That's what I've always said. I look like, like a lesbian homeless person usually is my style. That's how I would describe me. <laughs> So just to conclude, because you're so amazing, but like, I mean, you're so calm, which is why I haven't, I wanted to talk about your pregnancy a little bit, but I feel like, but you tell me, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of angst around that. I mean, is there any, besides being nervous about labor, which you talked right. about, is there, are you nervous about anything? I mean, are you nervous about being a mom? You know, what's funny is yesterday as I was like folding her clothes, because I just did a bunch of laundry was the first time that I kind of went like, <gasps> I took a deep breath and I was like, this is a person that's going to come home and not just be like this cute thing that I like can take a class about and then like give it back. But I had for some reason yesterday, 
a realization that like my life is forever changed. Yeah. The permanence. Yeah. That is a little crazy to me. And it is. Okay. Like my, and again, I, part of the angst around this is that I have had a very leisurely life of being able to like work on myself, get what I want, figure out my meditation, my schedule. Like I'm very scheduled. So I know that that's about to hit the fan. And I'm aware that like pretty soon me and my life and all the things that I want will not be the priority. This child inside of me is now my priority and that's shifting. And I think that that's actually great. I think that for me and where I am in my life, my career, it like makes me breathe easy because in a way I've been so focused. so focused and like almost white knuckling my career for the past, since I've been here, you know, six years or whatever, um, that I feel like now I can step back and enjoy what I've created and maybe focus on something else and see how that goes. Like, let's see, let's see what happens now. Like, let's see if maybe I can still maintain all of what I have and go further and still accomplish, but like have it come from a very different place. But I like how calm you are about it. Yeah. You're basically, you trust it's going to, it's going to, you don't know what it's going to be. No, I don't. You trust that it's going to be. Again, I've never failed myself. So I'm not going to fail. You'll be able to deal with, you're not going to fail. And it's going to be amazing. And I have people like you around me who, thank God, because I have like this group of mothers that I look to that have, you know, inspired me. And I think that it's kind of like my little, squad or something. Everyone needs a squad, a village, a squad. Um, I think it's going to be amazing. And I think we should commit to you coming back in a year because I do think it is fascinating. It is, especially for someone who's been so committed and knows how to take care of herself. I think you're still going to be taking care of yourself and you're going to figure it out, but there is going to be a shift Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to figure out how to redefine that. Right. And I'm so curious to know because I know you will. Yeah. I'm curious to know what that looks like. I can't wait. So I can't wait to talk about that. We'll come back in a year. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. And a year gives you time to like settle in because it's going to be chaos. (laughs) Yeah. But it is going to look different, but it's going to be there because I know you. So I can't wait to find out what that is. Yeah. I can't wait to meet her. I know. I can't wait to. She's so, she's kicking all the time right now. She's so big. So I'm going to rattle off a few things quickly because I want you to answer for the audience. Okay. Is there a book or a spiritual book or something people should run and grab? This favorite book. I, my favorite book that I think changed my life for me, I'll say, was um, the. it's just called Money and the Law of Attraction. That's amazing. That's it. That's great. That's for me was like this. It, it, it's kind of pedantic and like it's very do this do that but it really helps sometimes that's helpful yeah is there a documentary or movie that totally affected you um lion was really oh my god well i mean and i adopted my daughter so i know was- i know like just recently i watched that and my mind was so blown by that well it's beautiful and um, it is all about connection and relationship yeah and, and belief and belief and i think yeah for some reason that just came to my mind i don't know m- most recently i just saw that not too long ago is there a spiritual leader or someone or a guide or guru that you would tell people to look into? Um, recently, I, I'm almost done with it. I'm reading the Book of Joy, which is another one about the book. You could go look that up about the Dalai Lama meeting Desmond Tutu. Get into that. <laughs> Do it that now. is that It's mind-blowing, and I think that we can all take practices from the Dalai Lama. He's like the living guru, isn't he? Yeah. I've told you this story, right, that he was in our living room? Yes. Not when I lived there, but— that's an amazing story. It's an amazing and story. I'm very honored. <laughs> Sometimes I just sit in there and, and his I ener- in that room. His energy's still there for sure. For sure. It's Even reading that book, you feel his energy. Yeah. And like well, I think the that's words his he says. power, if we call it power. Yeah. 
This has been incredible. You are inspirational and just, I mean, I, I hope people can feel it through the podcast. Like, <laughs> I know how positive and warm you are because I really do think you shift people's vibrations just by being present with them. Aww, so thank you. I love you dearly. I love you. Okay, and now this is Angelique's personal practice, which is going to be an intention-setting kundalini exercise. So I'm going to tune us in. You don't have to tune in if you don't want to, but this is how we tune in in, in kundalini. You rub your palms together and place them over your heart. And you breathe deep and you roll your shoulders back and tuck your chin in. And exhale. And then we're going to say Ong Namo Gurudev Namo. That's the tune in, the universal practice. Um, basically bowing to the great teachers. We are all one. Inhaling. Om Namo Gurudev Namo Om Namo Gurudev Namo Om Namo Gurudev Namo So that's how you tune in with Kundalini. And if I'm teaching or leading any kind of practice, I have to tune in, but you don't have to do that. But then keeping your eyes closed, you raise your fingers and your arms straight above your head like a V and the thumbs are pointing inwards over your head, right over the 10th gate. And we're going to do what we call ego eradicator. And you're going to breathe the breath of fire through your nose, pumping your navel. It's going to sound like this. <laughs> Very constant, keeping that pace, keeping your arms straight right above your head, ton your your chin tucked in. And I like to do this for at least a minute and a half. Mantra Satnam, 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 Satnam is running through your head, keeping your mind on track as you're breathing. Satnam, Satnam. Satnam, 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 Satnam. Inhale, hold the breath and bring your thumb tips to touch over your crown chakra. Open all of your fingers, spread them wide, stretch, 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 holding your breath, holding your breath, holding your breath, holding your breath, and release, sweeping your arms down to your sides. And place your hands in your lap and just breathe, just meditate. Long, deep breaths. Feel the vibration. Hearing satnam, satnam, satnam. And then next, what I like to do for about a minute and a half to three minutes is you make fists. So tuck your, 
your thumb inside your fists. And this is called fists of anger. I don't leave my house without doing this, especially in LA, because this is will get all of your aggression out and really clear your karma and clear your mind for the day. It sets your day. So you're going to make huge sweeping motions over your head, up over in front of your face, over your head, alternating hands, okay? So you're gonna go up and over, reaching high and back, high, almost like you're swimming the backstroke. And you're gonna do this through a round mouth breath of fire. So you're gonna go really powerful, powerful breath through your round mouth O, like a, like literally like an O face. Hard breath, hard arms, hard arms, punching, punching. And as you're doing this, you're thinking of all the things you want to clear out of your mind, out of your karma, out of your way, any limiting beliefs, any roadblocks, anything that's standing in your way of what you want, clear them, clear them. You want to be doing it so hard that you're sweating by the end of the three minutes. And then reach up at the end of the three minutes. You'll reach up again. Hold your breath. Pull your root lock, which is basically like pull your butt cheeks. Reach up, reach up, reach up. And again, sweep your arms to the side, <sighs> exhaling. <sighs> Sit with your hands in your lap and meditate. Your heart rate should be pumping. You should be a little sweaty. <sighs> and any time that you need to take a calming breath throughout your day, I pull my, you can take a deep breath, inhaling. Pull your root block and hold the breath and say satnam, 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 satnam four times and then release it. And that should calm you and just raise your vibration very quickly. Hold the breath. Satnam, 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 satnam. And exhale. Those are just two quick little things that I do every morning to start my day. Satnam. Mm -hmm.